Welcome to Occasional Randomness and our continuing rewatch of Farscape Season 3. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always, my fellow co-host, somebody who is not jealous at all, Jason Johnson. Nope, not jealous in the least. Although I, I am going to say that there's no way I am ever getting one of those neural link uh, spikes put in my neck because that just seems to lead to all kind of bad stuff. So I'm out. Well, at least this one comes out without uh, much pain. But anyway, we'll get to that probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Goes in, rough. Comes out, not, not too bad. Yeah, probably not. So anyway, yeah, we'll maybe talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for those of you who actually bothered to keep track of our predictions at the end of each episode about what we think the next episode will be. That's all think, two of you. Yeah, because right, it's not us. <laughs> so, But I think we might actually have both been 100% correct this time. Again, not that we keep track of this, but pretty much as we'll get into, I think everything we thought it was turned out to be true. Um, so yay for us? I don't know. Yeah, in this case, I think we would have to really be bad at this, which sometimes we are. But I think to get this one wrong, I, the, the title kind of says it all. So yeah. A blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, so, you know. Yeah, and pretty much every possible way they could have a green-eyed monster, they did. So, congratulations. <laughs> they they hit all the tropes. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to swing, swing big, right? Yeah, or if you're going to make it obvious, then make it obvious, you know. Now I have those Captain Obvious commercials stuck in my head. So anyway. All right, and I think since we're only doing one episode at a time now, and since I did the last recap last time, I guess it's up to you now. All right, well... Let's see how bad I can muck this up. Uh, <laughs> Farscape, Season 3, Episode 8, The Green-Eyed Monster, as we said already. Following the split of the ships and crew from last episode, Crichton, Crace, and Aaron are on Talon, while Rigel and Stark are away doing recon on a transport pod. Hey, look, they have recon or transport pods now. Cool. Crichton is having serious problems with things not working, and the DRD is constantly hovering over him all the time. So he goes to command, only to find that that door won't open. Yeah, it seems to be a, a lot of closed doors here. Meanwhile, Aaron, who is with Crace on command, has taken propulsion offline in hopes that it will help speed Talon's recovery. Crace mentions that she has a remarkable understanding of Talon's systems and then asks if she's thought more about its previous proposal. John is finally let in, and he asks Crace while the DRDs are working around him 24-7 so he can't sleep, why he's finding doors locked, and the shower is cold. He says it's not really a problem, but Craze should not mess with his stuff, and he asks where Winona is, you know, the, his favorite gun. This prompts Craze to ask Talon to have the DRD search for it, claiming his own innocence. Crichton suddenly notices a moon in their way, but that's no moon, it's a budong, and it swallows Talon whole. Talon starts to panic, firing weapons and maneuvering thrusters, so Craze and Aaron try to calm him down. Crichton says they're still moving down, they're being swallowed. As Crichton and Crace begin to argue, Aaron steps in and says that Crichton is right. They don't want to be swallowed. Crichton says to drop anchor, but they don't have one, so to speak. Crichton and Aaron prepare some torpedoes with lines attached to them and go outside to hook them to the bones of the budong. After some misses, they succeed. Meanwhile, Stark and Rigel return from their recon, but Talon is not at the rendezvous point. Rigel attempts to call them, but Stark reminds him that calm silence is necessary as Aaron's mother and the Peacekeeper Retrieval Squad are still out there somewhere. Stark spots the Budong and starts to shut everything down so that they won't attract it by their ship's electronic emissions. Rigel says he's never heard of that before, but Stark says that's because everyone who's encountered a living Budong before are all dead. 
Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Rigel decides to get them out of there, but Stark objects. Luckily, the Budong avoids eating them. Back on Talon, Aaron returns to command, where Krace says that they have something to discuss, and he's engaged privacy mode, so it would be between just the two of them. Crichton is still finding doors locked when Krace's voice, apparently breaking up from interference, tells Crichton to meet him in his quarters. Krace tells Aaron that he wanted to wait for her to make up her own mind, but events have led to a different situation. Meanwhile, Crichton finds a vid chip in Krace's quarters, while Aaron says that she won't remain aboard Talon under those circumstances. So Krace says that it may be best for her to see him as he is and begins to undress. In Krace's quarters, Crichton watches the vid chip, which contains a video of Aaron and Krace having sex during a previous encounter. Crichton is moody as he walks to command and enters just as Krace is zipping up. Tension is in the air and Krace says that Talon has completed the scan and he believes that they can navigate the insides of the budong and get out by navigating the digestive tract. So Crichton asks if Talon might freak out at the plan to fly out the budong's butt. Aaron says that he'll be fine with help and decides that she'll take the neural interface with Talon. Crichton doesn't like that idea, but asks if there's anything that he can do. When Crace says no, Crichton storms off. Aaron falls and says she wants him there and that if it's the right thing for her to do. He says that she should do whatever she wants. She asks what he means and he says that means she always does what she wants to do, when she wants to do it, and with whom she wants. He says it's always about what she wants and she could be with Crace and rejoin the Peacekeeper family she's been longing for. She asks if he's finished and says that he's right. She doesn't want him there after all. Back on the pod, Stark tells Rigel that he's not overreacting. Budongs are deadly. He's tied up Rigel, who tries to say something through his gag. Stark takes off the gag and asks what he said, and Rigel takes the opportunity to vomit all over him. Stark runs off to clean himself up, as Rigel says that he loves that trick. Yeah, for, for some reason, Rigel loves the uh, physical uh, comedy there. <laughs> well, when you've got a Muppet, you kind of got to run with what you got. Crichton runs back to get into command, only to find the door locked again. Aaron receives the neural implant and says that talent is beyond beautiful, and Crace says, welcome to our world. Crace teaches Aaron how to use the interface, and she opens comms and hears Rigel calling for them. Crace explains their situation, and Rigel calls Stark out, saying that he claims to be a Budong expert. Stark says that the Budong's stomach is an inferno, and nothing ever leaves the Budong alive, which causes Talon to panic and try to release the mooring lines. As Crace tries to stop him, Talon causes him great pain. And so much for Talon. No, Talon can handle the truth, no problem. No. Nope. Yeah, yeah. Talon, you know, Talon seems to be a, a very stable and reliable young man. Crichton finally arrives on command when Aaron notices that Crace is gone. She uses the transponder to find him. He's trying to release the cables. Crichton takes her gun to stop him, but Crace manages to detach a cable. Aaron gets the door open and Crichton shoots the panel to stop Crace from releasing the last one. Crace says that he wishes Crichton had killed him and begins screaming in pain for Crichton to kill him. There are sores all over his body. Aaron manages to knock Talon out to stop him from releasing the last cable. In Crace's quarters, Crichton wakes up Crace and asks what's going on. Crace says that it's cybernetic bleedback. The sores and legions are physical symptoms. At times of high emotion, he and Talon merge and Talon gains a degree of control over Crace. Resistance to it causes him pain. Crichton says that he set up Aaron for the same problems, but Crace says that she'll not be affected, and the choice was Aaron's. Crichton says that he keeps hearing that Crace has changed, but he thinks that weather changes and they just keep making the same mistakes. Aaron comes in and says that she put Talon in sleep mode. Crichton says that they need to figure out what they need to do next and goes to check on the cables. 
Stark contacts them saying he has a plan to get them out of there. He says that he and Roger will feed the Budong too much ice and Talon will dump his cesium fuel to make the ice explode, causing the Budong to vomit so that Talon can ride it out. Crichton and Aaron say no, they need that fuel, but Stark says they must have some other explosives and Aaron remembers that the torpedoes have warheads, which she disarmed. Crichton goes outside to arm them. Aaron tries to tell Crichton to wait, but the comms aren't working. Crichton releases the cable and Kray says that Talon is moving to leave Crichton behind. Crichton is still calling Aaron, but he can't open the door to get inside. Kray says that Talon hates Crichton since he isn't a peacekeeper or a sebation, and also sees him as a threat to Aaron, who he wants to protect. Kray says that he tried to persuade Talon, but it didn't work. Aaron tells Kray to tell Talon to go back and get Crichton, but Kray says he can't. Aaron tells him not to lie to her. It's not about Talon. It's about him, her, and Crichton. He's taught Talon everything he knows. Outside the hatch, Crichton realizes neither Aaron or Crace would intentionally try to kill him and screams at Talon to let him in. Aaron looks at the open hatch again and gets Talon to show her the truth. Talon won't open the door, even when Crace suggests he does what she says. Aaron tells Talon that before Crichton dies, she wants to share something with him denied to peacekeepers, something he'll never know. So she does so and tells Talon that that is what it is like to need someone and says that Talon doesn't need her and never will and she rips off the neural link. Talon opens the door just before the detonation and rides the vomit out of the bundong. They bring the pot aboard and leave. Crace wants Aaron to reconsider, but she says that she's always done what others believe is right, but this is really right. He shows Aaron the vid chip, saying some of the entries are very creative. Aaron goes to Crichton and says that he knows it's not real. Talon altered the last part of the image. She never recreated with Crace, not that it should matter. He says that it does, but she says that it never did before. Aaron says that she had this life, and she liked it. It had rules, she followed them, and that made everything right. Then he came along and frailed everything up. She says that he saw the recording and didn't say a word. She says that he's like a plague and he's ruined her life, yet she just keeps coming back. He shows her his star charts and his names for stars. He shows her a bright star, his point of reference. He says that he, it, it always becomes the center of his chart, and he always names it Aaron. He says that it's his one constant, and asks her if she wants to name some stars. She says there are a lot of them, but he says there's plenty of time, and they kiss. Aww. Aww. Uh, little trivia from this episode. Beginning with this episode, and continuing for a number of weeks, the series alternates between the two crews, with one set of cast members taking the week off. The only exception is Ben Browder, who continues to appear in every episode. The Budong makes its second appearance after the second season episode, Home on the Remains. This is the first and only living one to appear on the show. Uh, spoilers. Um, yeah, so there you go. For the next <laughs> season and a half, no more Budongs. Or at least living Budongs, right? That's the true, yeah. Uh, the Budong was created entirely from computer effects. The Jim Henson creature shop work was primarily on the DRDs aboard Talon. The title comes from the phrase that originates from Shakespeare's Othello. Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It's the green-eyed monster which doth mock, the meat it feeds on. Also, Ben Browder was the writer of this episode. This was his first television script. And finally, Aaron's line about the interior of the Budong being pitch black is a reference Browder added to the 1999 film of the same name, which starred Claudia Black, and which I saw in theaters. Well, that's good for you. I saw it uh, way later on cable TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... I don't know which of us won on that one. (laughs) 
Oh, come on. It's Vin Diesel. Who doesn't like Vin Diesel? I, actually, I really liked that movie. I thought it was pretty impressive considering how low budget it was. But uh, yeah. So thoughts on this one? Uh, I have some. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think this is one of those we'll find out we're pretty much in alignment on. But go ahead. Yeah. As we said way back when we first started that of this rewatch, we're going to watch everything. We're not going to cherry pick the episode. So we'll watch the good and the bad or not so good. Uh, so I guess it kind of forecasts where I'm going with this. Um, so I guess after the first time I watched it, I wasn't exactly thrilled with it. I'm not really sure why. Uh, you know, I, I did like the character interactions. Uh, that's always been a hallmark of Farscape. You know, the, the character development, character growth, interactions and stuff. So that didn't disappoint, really. I'm probably more annoyed about Talon, that it just acts so irresponsibly. And, and maybe that's because it's, you know, a little baby Leviathan-ish. I don't know how old it is now. A year, two years, whatever. Or how fast they grow up. And I, I mean, I guess it is consistent with what we've heard before and not seen that you know he's reckless and he's always getting in trouble and whatever well that's crazy's fault his talent's fault both i don't know but i guess probably the th- biggest thing that bugged me was Crichton just accepting that video of Crace and aaron supposedly sleeping together and kind of just shutting down and just kind of being pouty uh, that seems kind of out of character for someone that you know if this is love of his life now he's just be like okay she likes Crace now okay I mean, and granted, you know, this is Ben's script, so I, I guess I can kind of see what he was going for, and we'll talk get more of that in a minute. So I guess it kind of pulls it out of the bad category, but like I said before, it's not the good category either. So what's that, average or meh category, I think, for me? I, I think I'm pretty well on record, as we've discussed a lot of the episodes, that I, I hate the back and forth, misunderstanding relationship you know we're going to misunderstand each other or something and that's going to cause relationship issues among the crew it's just kind of a trope that 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 i don't like in pretty much anything that you know i mean i i like for our our nuclear family to work and then you know let let them deal with the world but this is i don't know i i just i'm never a fan of that trope and I, i do have to say though that this one i think set better with me than most probably because the title had us anticipating it right when, when we were talking about a green-eyed monster and expecting some jealousy amongst the, the the people there that was the first thing that came to mind was that kind of they've been they've been angling towards this craze Aaron thing for a while even though it doesn't make any sense or have anything to do with anything so I, I was expecting it I don't like it but there have been worse episodes that we've dealt with these crew issues before relationship issues before so I'll put it in the mech category, but I don't think I ever hit it in the bad just because I was anticipating it so much, I think. Yeah, and we'll probably dive in a little bit more into that uh, three-way, four-way, whatever I said last time, like dodecahedron, you know, <laughs> Venn diagram of jealousy or whatever. But yeah, it's just like, you know, I mean, yeah, that's been a hallmark of Fire Escape, but, you know, they started out quibbling and arguing and fighting each other, and then they became like, you know, a crew and a family and, you know, stuff happens and, you know, they still do the little bickering back and forth and stuff, which is fun. But yeah, just to like kind of go off the rails, like, are we doing this again? I'm like, <laughs> so, but yeah, we'll yeah. get to that here in a little bit. So. Yeah. All right. So getting to more fun-ish things, or at least not the main plotline thing. Looks like we got another little bottle show. 
and now it's only one half of the cast because now they split up so that's kind of interesting i thought maybe they're going to do like a half on talon half on moya kind of thing and have like you know two plot lines and things going on but nope they just which is kind of cool they just cut it down to like you know one group of people as we learned in the trivia that you know i guess they're going to go back and forth so that'd be kind of interesting yeah Something so far i haven't really seen before in other kind of tv shows for a bottle show, does that make it one of those really small cans they come out with now that aren't the full size cans? They're like the the sampler cans or whatever. Yeah, but, it's like um, it's like an eight, eight, eight ounce show, not a sixteen ounce show. Is that what? right? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Instead of the twelve ounce full size, you get kind of the anyway. Uh, I do think that you know I've never worked on a TV show, but from everything I've read and heard, you know the the production schedules are really hectic for season shows, and I'm sure it was probably the same back when this was made. So I expect this also kind of provided a nice break with the crew, right? Because they could they could stagger or get breaks, however they they scheduled it between these episodes, and so they weren't on set for every one of these episodes for for the recording schedule, with the exception of Ben Browder, of course, who had to get cloned and be in both crews. So yeah, and you know, I don't know how their contracts were, but hopefully they were paid by how much they thought they were going to be in the season. And then when they decided to split episodes up that, you know, they didn't like lose money. It's like, Oh yeah, you're not going to be on this week and you're not going to get paid. So, so hopefully everybody else got paid that they weren't in the show. So. Ooh, good point. Yeah. I was trying to look up like contracts and how like shows work. And I guess they can be like, like a per season order. So they might have like so many shows they're going to be in. So they might think like, Oh, season's 22 episodes. You're going to be in 22 episodes. And then it doesn't work that way for just plot reasons or as they're developing this. And so, I'm sure they probably got paid, I would guess. All right, let's try and think of some other fun things here before we get into the not-so-fun things. Um, I guess last episode they mentioned that Talon didn't have any DRDs yet, and now this time he does, and they're kind of cool-looking. They kind of look like, I guess, like a little mini-Talons in some respects. They're like they're more military-like. They look like they're armored as as compared to Moya's little DRDs that just like look like little fabric kind of little bag things running around. They don't look like they're, you know, that dangerous or threatening but uh, talent's drds kind of look like a little badass right yeah he he outsourced his uh drds designed to tony stark so yeah it did kind of look like stark tech did it it had that like that like that that like um um, crimson kind of like shiny armor kind of look to them yeah yeah or actually maybe based on the timelines maybe tony stark cribbed from this but either way (laughs) that's true because that was uh, what 10 years later right so give or take so yeah See, Farscape, once again, people steal from Farscape. We've proved yeah, this it, before. That's right. It, it, it all comes back to Farscape. They just don't realize it. And they get swallowed by the aforementioned green-eyed monster. So that's both literal and figurative. Our, our reappearance of a Budong, this time a live Budong. So it's pretty nice effects throughout the episode. With Every time we saw it, they did a pretty good job with the effects. Not quite sure what, besides everything, a Budong would eat and how much of it it needs to eat to live. But you can pretty much figure out immediately why everyone's so afraid of of meeting one. Because if you do, you're probably dead. Yeah, and I found this really interesting. I'm, I'm, I think this is one of the cool, like, mythological or whatever you want to call it, things of the show, right? We don't get a lot of creature history stuff going on. I mean, when we encounter them, we do. But as far as, like, people's perceptions of space and stuff, you know, what to avoid. And I think the design of a creature that is so lethal that it doesn't really have a reputation because anybody who ever encounters a live one doesn't survive so there's no survivors to report back that, that, that's a kind of an interesting concept yes i think even rajo mentions like to start oh so now you're an expert on budongs or something because basically like no one is because no one's probably lived long enough to study one <laughs> so. right i mean they've got dead ones but but 
you know, if you encounter a live one, you're just dead. So yeah, so, so that kind of like leaves the research to a you know bare minimum there. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. They, they now this crew is now like the foremost experts on Budong in the galaxy. Yep, inside and out. Yep, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least halfway through. So, well, you know, yeah, you don't get too far down there because yeah, again, you'd be dead. And of course, Rigel, our our lovable coward, wants to leave after Stark thinks Talon got eaten by it, and he doesn't even care just to be 100 percent sure. Like you know, maybe do some sweeps, see if they're like hiding behind you know the little rings there somewhere. Nope, just wants to go. So you know, the more things, as you said before, change with Farscape, the more they don't. And you know, Rigel even goes so far as to try to sabotage Stark's every attempt to stay and help. You know, he's he's eating the comms um, power or whatever button, whatever he did, and trying to barf on Stark to get him to run away so he can sabotage things and try to get away again. So it's like, yeah, Rigel, being Rigel. I, d- I did love the part where he swallowed the, the comm chip and Stark just immediately goes elbow deep, right? Just down the gullet. So, <laughs> things you can only do when you're dealing with a Muppet, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Can't really pull it off with a live action actor. You know, not, you know, doesn't work that way. If, if anybody would, it'd be Stark, so. All right, and then we get to like the the middle part of the episode where I think things started to fall apart for me, <laughs> so, or at least the stuff I really care about. Even though they wrap it up nicely, which we'll get to, it's like I, yeah. I still don't understand Crichton. Just you know, he's you know he he sees the video. You know, obviously, we know it's fake because you know, we're the audience, and we know that he got the fake call from craze to go to his quarters, and you know he sees the video of craze and Aaron having sexy time. And you might think he might be a little upset about that. No, he's pretty much just plays it like pouty or just shuts down, doesn't really talk anymore, which, of course, is, you know, as we know, Crichton, that's not normal. So it's like, does, does he really think that she's suddenly in love with Crace or just wants to run off with him and Talon and go back to something somewhat similar to Peacekeeper World, even though Crace and Talon aren't Peacekeepers and they're being chased by Peacekeepers, they're probably going to be killed by Peacekeepers, so, huh? Like, I just don't understand other than just, you know, f- uh, drama for the sake of drama. For the, you know, But then again, we're not going to buy it because we know it's fake. So I I, I just kind of don't get that whole middle bit there. No, I, th- I think it, it goes in the classification of, like you said, uh, you know, it's done for the convenience of the plot. As you said, it's drama for drama's sake, just so they can have some conflict. It's the type of regression that bothers me because it gives it like a CW feel. Not if you like CW shows, that's fine. I'm not knocking them, but you know that they, they pretty much perfected the trope of we have to have some kind of angsty teenage drama. And I think that that, that that's almost what this feels like. It's like oh, we've yeah, yes, they've professed their love for each other a couple times, and we've gotten blah blah blah. But now oh, you know, we need some drama with Grace, so let's let's throw it in there. Yeah, because the, the first little thing that puts some doubt or shade on their relationship or their love for each other and then Crichton's like oh I'm done goodbye you know that's it I'm like really uh, like you know it's kind of like we've gone back and forth you know she, she's proven that she loves you you know she didn't want to say it now she has from what the space station episode or whatever where she's like oh okay let's go for it and they seemed happy which of course like he said you know drama for drama's sake you know we can't have you know happy happy love life you know we have to you know test it and Okay, I mean, it all turns out well in the end, and hopefully we're done with this crap. (laughs) Yeah, I won't hold my breath. I feel like we'd say that a lot. (laughs) And again, like the show, it's just, yeah, it doesn't matter what show it is. This stuff always kind of, it's my least favorite part of it. But if we've learned nothing from Farscape over the last 
three and a quarter seasons that even when stories either don't make sense or aren't necessarily good stories, there's still things that we can pull out of them that we enjoy and that we even reference later. Go back and listen to our episode called DNA Mad Scientist, and you'll learn that that was a horrible episode, but it's driven things that have been for the better after that. So this is kind of another one of those kind of veins. We learn more about the characters that could pop up later. Like, since we're going to be on Talon for a while, apparently, we've learned that Talon and Crace's connection is a little different than Moya's and Pilot's in the fact that, I guess, when things get really crazy, which apparently happens quite a lot, (laughs) (laughs) that Talon Talon can somehow control Crace, like, either outright control of his body, not his mind, but I guess he can make him do things, and, you know, inflict pain and, like, kind of gross little boils and lesions on him which you know if you're looking at this from like a a ship design standpoint that's not very good if the peacekeepers ever do this again they need to kind of rework that interface a little bit yeah yeah this is probably my favorite takeaway thing from this episode if i had to boil out one thing that was kind of like a cool move forward right or or something that they could play with it that the concept of introducing Talon's ability to control Krace. And I, I kind of took that a little differently. Maybe I misunderstood it, but I was thinking it also meant that he could like fully control him, like almost like puppeteer, which gives us an interesting aspect of having an unreliable, unre- having an unreliable informer perspective, right? Cause now anything Krace does or says has to be viewed with suspicion. And that goes for anything he's said in the past, right? Cause ever that, that means that this has probably been in place ever since he bonded with Talon. And so anything that he's told them, since then, in the past, is now suspect. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about, you know, I mean, he didn't only say anything when he was trying to sabotage the, or let go the um, umbilical cords there. He was just, you know, doing his little thing. Or was he talking? I can't remember. But yeah, so yeah, that's a good point. Maybe he can fully control him. Like we've seen, like, um, in the season two, beginning of season three, where that Scorpius controls, you know, that one guy from the, the med lab or whatever. So yeah, I mean, could be. Some, could be well, some it, kind of similar stuff. Yeah, it just led me to wonder if if Talon was one of the jealous ones and he was controlling Crace, maybe some of the stuff that Crace was saying to get ta- to get Aaron to you know bond might have been influenced by Talon. So anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, and we do have kind of a, a little funny kind of not outright callback to um, two thousand one: A Space Odyssey, where where Crichton's you know locked outside of the ship and can't get back in, and his comms don't work. It's like you know. I'm sorry, Crichton. I can't do that. You know, that's what I was thinking <laughs> when he was stuck out there. Although I guess that was kind of your, the, like the, the the aha moment of the episode, right? Where Crichton, I guess, finally has some quiet time because he's kind of got nothing else to do, and he kind of re- finally realizes Enjoy that the view. it's Talon. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, blackness. Yeah, that you know, it's Talon who's the jealous one, and probably has been the one that's been messing with him all in the past with you know the cold showers, stealing his gun messing with the doors and basically now wants to get rid of him i guess because i guess talon thinks he create uh, he Crace and aaron are you know you know a family a unit friends you know they're whatever but then kind of aaron kind of blows some of that away saying no that's anything that talon learned he, she's learned that from Crace. so then it's Crace that's jealous of i'm guessing it's maybe because Crace is jealous of aaron and Crichton's relationship maybe and you know she's living happily ever after so to speak you know since she was thrown out of the peacekeepers and you know he's been thrown out of the peacekeepers basically and he's hunted by them now right like she was so maybe he's trying to get some of that back because you know he's like her but he's all alone versus you know she's gotten you know family friends a love interest and he's you know all now he's the one that's all pouty and alone right 
the downfall of all that to me is I'm not quite sure, you know, despite everybody being jealous of everybody and the green-eyed monster and all that, I'm not sure who the jealousy is, right? Like you said, is it is it Talon jealous of Crichton? Is Talon jealous of Crichton's relationship with Aaron or just Talon Crichton in general? Is it because he learned it from Crace and Crace is jealous of Crichton? Does that mean he wants to be with Aaron romantically? I, I never quite got the actual definitive, like, who wants what? And maybe it doesn't matter, but that's that was the probably the biggest confusion I had there. I do think that, like you said, you know, Talon's age is a big play in it. And, you know, like the pranks he's playing on Crichton, the cold showers and the locked doors and stuff is very, you know, adolescent. I don't like you. Um, quit dating my mom type thing. So <laughs> maybe that's where he's coming from and the intention is. If, if I could redo a little bit of this episode, if I had like, you know, carte blanche to kind of change a little bit, I think I would have trimmed a lot of that up and spent more time on the Crichton out the airlock scene. Because as you said, it does kind of have a cool, aha, 2001 Space Odyssey conversational moment between him and Talon. And I would love for that to have gotten a lot more time instead of the the really quick cuts back and forth between, you know, the action, because everything was at the, at the peak there. And have just a kind of a maybe even a, uh, some kind of interaction between the two of them would have been kind of cool, right? Yeah, I mean, they kind of build up the the drama of being stuck, and you know, they gotta get out soon, and then they kind of, yeah, they, they just kind of rush through like the the explanation, I guess, of who's jealous of who or whatever. Because is, is Crace for real when he says Talon doesn't like Crichton because he's not a real Sebastian, and that's the reason, or is because he somehow wants Aaron, whether as a friend or not, or I don't know. I don't know why suddenly he wants that, if that's true, because you know, he's the one that kicked her out of the service and was threatening to, you know, put the, like the, the basically the, the death penalty on her for, you know, being contaminated by this, you know, alien back in the first episode of the, of the show. So I'm like, is that true? Or is, yeah, is it somehow Talon got not jealous? I don't know. I, it's, it's, it gets confusing. So I'm like, maybe it's parts of it are true. I don't know, but yeah, it, it could have been done better. Yeah. My head canon is that, and this is probably not accurate at all, but that, um, because, you know, Talon imprinted on Aaron, you know, when he was putting air quotes around born. Right. And they've always had that bond that because he's linked to Grace, he's influenced Grace's attraction to Aaron. Right. So, while Crace may not have been attracted to Aaron before, his feelings through through Talon are amplifying it. I don't know. That's my headcanon because I like it that way. So <laughs> at least it makes sense no, to me. I, I, yeah, I mean, that, that makes more sense probably than what they were trying to go for <laughs> with this one, <laughs> which would explain like where that kind of this out of the blue Crace fixation with Aaron is like you know getting information about her mom, you know trying to get her to come on board and join the crew. Although you know she is better, he said, controlling Talon than he is. So. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's he just needs her because you know he wants to keep Talon and he wants to keep you know surviving and not being you know captured and she's his best chance. So yeah, who knows? I mean, one explanation is as good as the other, I guess. Yeah. And then finally, everything gets all wrapped up neat in a bow in ten seconds. No, in, <laughs> <laughs> at the end, and you know, Aaron and Crichton make up, and you know, everything gets explained. And they kiss. Everything's happily ever after. Please, God, please, let's just be the end. <laughs> let's just end the subplot. Although, like we said, you never know. And we've got like 36 more episodes left to go. So who knows? Yeah. To, to beat the dead horse one more time for this show, I, I, this this podcast, I, I feel like I say it every time. 
let let them be together. Let's get this drama from an external source, not from the internal conflict. Once you've done it like 10 times, I think we're good. I think we can have built the relationship and let's just move on. Let something else be the drama. Yeah. So what would really be great is, you know, if they pull this again, that, you know, now that they've been through trials and tribulations with their relationship now, what, 47 times that, you know, the 48th time they'd be like, ah, I know what this is. You won't get between me and Aaron. You won't get between me and John. We know, we know better. Oh, great. Yay. Well, clap, clap. You know, <laughs> haven't they both almost been married like three times now? So, you know, to different people. So I think we can get past that and we've done that. <laughs> yeah. I think we've got every combination of this now. So are we good? Thanks, please. Yes. Okay. All right. I think we've beaten, like you said, this dead horse uh, as much as we can. Uh, any final thoughts or anything? No, I, I think like we like we said, it's not terrible. There's some pretty decent stuff in here. I, I think the Budong and, and some of their stuff is, is cool. I I hope as we go through these separate crew episodes that we can get some more use out of all the crew members. I felt like maybe other than a little bit of conversation, Stark and Rigel, uh, while they did provide some humor, were kind of isolated off for most of it. And maybe we can get better use out of them. Uh, I know it's tough to use everybody, but... You know, it it goes in the meh category. It's we've had worse, we've had better, but still, you know, it moved forward. I think, and then we'll see what happens next time with the other crew, and then we'll see where they pick up with this group when we come back to them. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, maybe they can focus more on other members of the crew, like Jewel, our new crew member, who's not in the main cast credits, but she's part of the cast, right? So maybe having three less characters, or actually four less characters on Moya, you know, she'll have more to do and they'll finally find something for her to do or grow into her own character this time. So who knows? We'll see. Yep. Speaking of, we'll see next time. If you're following along, uh, that will be season three, episode nine, losing time. And like we always do, like we mentioned at the top of the episode, playing our game of what does that mean? Well, you know, you got time. So, I mean, they've done their share of little time travel-y, timey-wimey kind of stuff. So... Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. So maybe more, more, more literal, like losing time. Like that's kind of a, a phrase of like, you know, if you have a blackout or you can't remember something, you know, you, you've you know lost time, right? Uh, so maybe something happens with the crew that way. Or another way, another saying like, you know, I, I lost time doing this. It's like, you know, you're doing something, you know, like annoying or trivial or something that's keeping you from doing the thing you want to do. So you're, you're losing time doing this thing when you should be doing that thing, right? So maybe... There's something critical they have to do, but they keep getting sidetracked with something, possibly. Those are my guesses. Yeah. I, I'm on a similar track. I'm thinking more along the lines of they're, they're losing time, stuck trying to get back to the rest of the crew, either searching for Talon and Moya. It's wanting to get back to them, and they're just trying to you know kind of feel like they're cool in their heels, trying to figure out where to go next. Or maybe they're pinned down, right? I'm picturing like the Millennium Falcon having to sit there and wait out the search parties and stuff, and maybe maybe Aaron's mom's search force has got them pinned down or they're trying to sit still and avoid them so they they can move forward and they're just stuck you know killing time and that'll give us a chance to have some inner crew dynamics as they just kind of are forced to sit in one place and not do anything yeah because you know with you know being aaron's mother that's hunting them you would think that she would find them with talon where aaron is but no if you want to twist it you know she'll first find where aaron isn't and then work our way backwards, maybe. Who knows? Right. Which may end with Talon having to go in and rescue Moya as they're kind of stuck with Aaron's mom. So, you know, anyway. Yep. Have, having Talon do what he doesn't want to do, go to the people trying to capture him, right? So that could be a little ooh, plot twist, you know, drama, you know. 
real drama, yeah. not this real kind drama. of drama we had in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think you pretty much figure out where we fit with that drama. Uh, so we, <laughs> on that note, I guess that is your homework for next time. And we'll see you then. Goodbye. Later. <laughs>